besides preparing catechumens for their uh, baptism at Easter. Lent has also had, in developing the liturgy, has still the sense of penitence being re received back into the church, as in the early church when it was done publicly on the steps of the church. And, uh, and of course, Lent is our great retreat around the world. The whole church, in a sense, don't you think, goes, goes on retreat. And it's well we should, and it's well we should open up and take advantage of this marvelous gospel that we have today. And um, now, I'm sure you've thought of it, but just to say, words are remarkable just if you focus on one of them. You begin to see their power because they are tools to open up bits of life or to discern bits of life or to dissect life, dissect life and come to understand it. I say that because life comes at us unlabeled. You go to a, a museum and even if it's abstract art, you're told it's a railroad station in Paris in this particular year and so on and so forth, or a summer day or what in the spring. But life comes that is completely unlabeled. And so in some ways, words help us, don't they, to unpack it for ourselves and indeed, indeed for each other. And the word, is it, you know how on the Muppets they say, today is brought to you by the letter seven, the number seven, or the letter K, do you have any guesses what word is brought, our mass is brought to you today by the word temptation? Are you with me? What's the word? Thank you, I forgot. So uh, temptation, we have here Christ and his temptation, which he survives and in no way gives in to the devil's temptations, letting him get out of what his life of service is to be, showing us how to live. As God, he could simply jump to that and not be true man. He wouldn't be true man if he jumped away from these, these different things that he has to suffer through. But when we come to risks in life, one of the great words we use to label them is the word temptation and how valuable they are. It's like a warning label, a big orange warning label. I imagine they have them all around Princeton, orange warning labels, do they? You know, and then on something, something like this, you would put an orange warning label to say it's a temptation, stand back. That's why God puts smell on skunks, puts uh, quills on porcupines, and then why does God put the sign saying stand back 200 feet on the back of ladders, ladder trucks, fire trucks, so that we stand back at least 200 feet and don't trip, don't trip into the trap door, which is a temptation. Often they are trap doors in our own lives. You talk to people who on the other side of having gotten out of the trap door with much help and much difficulty, tell you how they were sure they would never fall into alcohol and they could gauge their own or drugs or something else. And there are lots of other temptations, so let's not focus on that. But the point is, they will tell you, uh, and it's a long tale, of how they finally came to recognize those things. And in some ways, sadly, sadly, they had to hit bottom to see the point. But then they came to understand, and then they began to label things right, to pull out that particular word and label things, and then that brought them understanding in terms of a hermeneutic of life, understanding where the dangers were, what to avoid, what to do, and so on. 
and in a way we all have to do that all life long. Many people I talk to at age 50 or 60 talk about things they labeled at 20 or 30 which were completely wrong. They walked into situations they didn't, they didn't realize who was the patsy there. I said, who was the patsy? They said, they, I was the patsy. They'll tell me in telling the story. But they didn't realize it then and on and on. So how important to learn to label things aright. But frankly, at times, we tend, to, uh, we tend to find it easier to join the flat earth society. You know, learning is a lot of work, much easier to be ignorant, and so on and so forth. We started with the book of Genesis, which is a marvelous book about our origins. It's easy in the modern day to get something that was done millennia ago for a completely different audience with a completely different view of the universe, et cetera, et cetera. It's easy either to be skeptical or get it wrong or impose that view on our, our view on that without proper interpretation. You know the old line that some people talk about, fundamentalists talk about Genesis as if it's the way the heavens go and actually it's how to go to heaven, if you will, if you will. But sometimes it's, it's incredibly misused. And uh, I, do, I do have a suggestion. There's a, there's a marvelous, Father Bruce Vauter has an old book uh, but a path through Genesis, a path through Genesis, the book. And it's one of the most difficult books in the Bible, but also one of the most interesting once you unpack it and get to understand it about origins. And I much recommend that book for people uh, because learning, understanding is always better than ignorance. And coming to see what's meant and what's not meant is one of the great crucial things of being an adult, of being an adult. Now, of course, sometimes people flee... Um, say, well, science and religion is always a problem, and so I'll just give up on religion. Uh, some people give up on science. You know, reality is a crutch, facts are unimportant. But uh, there are people who've come by to speak here the, the other, within the year for our grad students, and they, um, they have a marvelous website. And they would be scientists from the university here and other universities, and so they have a Society of Catholic Scientists. Are you with me? Society of Catholic Scientists. If you look at that website, it has about 12 or 15 frequently asked questions, and many of them are about Genesis and about creation or about the origin of the universe, the Big Bang, and so on. About the church being in its way with the universities, not the greatest contributor to science. Uh, the fact being that the Galileo case sort of overshadows everything else. Uh, but you know Pope John Paul II, from the beginning to end of his pontificate, was lauding Galileo and so saying some of his expressions captured better than the highest organs in the church did what the truth of the matter was. As Galileo said, the God who made the universe, made the planets, is also the God who inspired scripture. However, can there be a contradiction between those two things? But as with moving from, to knowledge from ignorance, there's always a bit of work. And then the matter of insight, sort of getting out of our ruts, and getting out of our taking ignorance or inattention as normative or the best way out. Uh, one of the best books I'd I recommend to be one of the best books people have enjoyed is Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was famous Christian Oxford and uh, famous apologist for the church, not making apologies, but defending the good of it, the sense of it, the truth of it, of the Christian message. And he had this brilliant uh, fiction called The Screwtape Letters where a senior a senior uh, devil was advising a junior devil, a beginner devil, a novice devil, if you would. And he was cluing him in about how clueless humans were, 
and especially what our different kinds of soft underbelly were and where we're particularly easily taken advantage of. And if you want a book for Lent, if you want a book against temptation, if you want a book to label where the risks are and the trap doors, it's hard, it's hard to think of a better one than that. There was something the other day that was talking about a, uh, an actor in the last, you know, I think it was in the 90s, but mentioned, mentioned recently a number of times I've heard it, and then I heard this. And the person's name was River Phoenix. He, was, had a great, he had a great show, he was an up-and-coming actor. And then he, um, he had worked all week, he was very tired, and he just had to go home to bed. But his friends came by, and his sister and so on, and they wanted to go to a club, and they needed someone to get them into the club and so on. And so they decided to, uh, so they asked him if he'd go, and he went. And, uh, but he was very beat. And of course, when you're beat, your judgment goes and everything else, if you know that well enough. And the story is that someone said, hey, take this, you'll feel great. It was a blue cup of something or other, some liquid. And um, there are people who allege it being analyzed. Uh, it was eight, X, eight times lethal, but then as with all these things, everything is, disappears and no one can quite get back to the truth of things. But the fact is within an hour, he, was, he had to leave the club and he died on the outside sidewalk. Uh, and when they got there, it was really impossible to revive him. Now, the fellow who handed him that did it with a smile. And he said it would be good. Hey, this will be good for you. And he agreed without knowing and drank it in one gulp. And the next thing you know, he was dead on the street. When I was a kid, I used to hear stories about, from my uncle, the doctor, of my grandfather, a physician, who used to go to Continuing Ed, which in those days was the county medical meeting, which was a freedom misto of doctors of all sorts of types. But he would often mention meeting a fellow who was very friendly with, Chevalier Jackson. He was known more than anyone in the U.S. for getting things out of people's windpipes and esophaguses, and he was famous for that. He was sort of like the modern medical St. Blaze, if you will, with that fishbone. Are you with me? And, uh, but he also devised, because he was aware of keeping people safe and getting them out of utterly toxic situations, he also devised the skull and crossbones. He devised the skull and crossbones that up until recently used to be put on things to warn parents to get it away from the kids. They will think it's something to play with. It really leads to death if they swallow it. My mother interned at Penn and she had someone she was working with and he couldn't speak because as a kid he drank lye from under the sink in his parents' home. And the value of the skull and crossbones. Well, the word temptation is, I think, the same thing. It's something with which we can label bits of our lives once we realize they're dangerous, faulty, bad, or not in our interests. And not listen to uh, bad shepherds, perverse shepherds out for their own, you know, all the tobacco ads saying, this will make you feel great. And instead of being an outdoorsman, you can't catch your breath and you die an early death. But rather the good shepherd, Christ the Lord. The good shepherd, Christ the Lord. AA groups meet for 12-step meetings in our churches all over the place, here and everywhere else. And it is our custom as humans to look down on people who have it tough without realizing that they are the saints among us. Because they've had it tough, they've gotten through that, come out the tunnel, thanks be to God with their lives still, still 
and they go to 12-step meetings, and the 12 steps are a marvelous compendium of spirituality. You couldn't ask for anything better or more clear than that. And they do that together and they save each other. They don't just save themselves like me and Jesus, as some people say. No, no, we know it's not me and Jesus, it's the church. It's everybody, Catholic Church, here comes everybody. And so they don't just save themselves. They work to save everyone else. And they've come to realize how to label things right. And then they take the extra trouble to take the extra walk, to go constantly to 12-step meetings so that they stay forever safe of trap doors. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.